0: You have to be able to not judge, and to accept, and to put yourself in the shoes of those patients, and, uh, and learn from it.
1: You're listening to LP in Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. I'm your host, Lynn Porton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. Some months ago, I did a show on various forms of professional training and curiosity, Beth Flores talked so articulately about what she'd learned from design thinking and other disciplines about asking better questions in both life and work. My original plan had been to pair Beth with someone who had received curiosity training in some other very different profession, but I didn't quite pull that off at the time. So today's conversation makes good on my promise in that regard. I'd never heard of narrative medicine until I chose to be curious about unearthing that hypothesized curiosity training, and I couldn't now tell you where I first came across the approach, but from the moment I laid eyes on the concept, I knew I was hooked. The poet Mary Carr wrote, And if you can get curious about what scares or infuriates you, especially if it's part of yourself, you can grow less scared few things scare us more than our own physical frailty. My friend Yoko knows what I mean. I am an
0: electronic musician exploring sound and emotion. I hear any sound as a musical note. A while ago, I got sick and went to the emergency room. I was terrified by the sound of alarms in such dissonance. Lying on a hospital bed, I wondered, why does it
1: have to be this way? Could it be better? Through a partnership with Sibley Hospital, Yoko's working to transform what we might hear in the hospital, trying to turn dissonance into something healing.
0: So in this project, I like to interview a lot of people, patients, families, doctors, nurses, asking them what kind of sound do they want to
1: hear in hospitals? What do they wish to feel? It's a great question. What do you wish to feel? And how does sound contribute? Are you even conscious of its impact? Let us know what you think on Facebook, Twitter, or email. Choose to be curious, hashtag my soundscape. Yoko is a musician and performer who was born and raised in Japan. My guest, Raya Kirbek, is a VA doctor originally from Syria. They come from very different places and yet share this common commitment to improving our collective experience of healthcare by focusing on our very individual needs and desires. They bring choosing to be curious about others' experiences to a whole new level. I mentioned I'd never heard of narrative medicine when I came across it, and I certainly didn't know where to find someone who could speak to it. But Facebook is a marvelous thing, and almost instantly, a friend knew a friend. And that's how Dr. Rhea Kierbeck of the VA's Office of Patient-Centered Care came to be with me today. Welcome, Rhea. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I am delighted to have you here. I'm very excited about this conversation, at least because I feel like there's so much more for me to learn about narrative medicine. So tell us what narrative medicine is.
0: Narrative medicine is the art of being able to understand, absorb, connect with the patient experience, and honor that experience
1: deep down. I can think of a thousand reasons why that would be attractive, but what attracted you?
0: I started my career as a nursing home physician. I'm a geriatrician and a palliative care physician and i spent the first 10 years of my career as a clinician educator in nursing homes and so when patients get into the nursing home there is really very few interventions that are that can be curable and uh and i found myself during routine rounds and in between rounds spending time just listening mm-hmm. talking to mm-hmm. patients spending time with them and what I learned was overwhelming, the stories that I, that I heard from patients, just being, just being there and listening and being an objective observer to a lived experience, opened my eyes to many things that could improve outcomes of care. And I thought, why do we wait for people to get into nursing homes to tell their stories? The stories uh. should be heard and shared um, at every encounter if possible.
1: And is it a discipline that is used across all specialties, or has it found a home in particular places?
0: So, you know, we do advanced care planning in the nursing home, which is honoring preferences of care and hopes and wishes and dreams, and, and that's for people nearing the end of life. But it shouldn't be the way. We talk in terms of comfort and dignity and safety when we talk about nursing home patients and and patients at the end of life. But those are not program-specific goals. Those are our goals for patients across the continuum. And so narrative medicine could be practiced across the continuum. and should be practiced across the
1: continuum. You know, after I read up on this a little bit, I found myself going back through all the doctors that I had ever seen (laughs) that I could remember and trying to think whether or not I thought there was any chance that they had encountered this training or sort of had this mindset. And some of them certainly were more attentive, more kind of more interested in me. But are there markers? I mean, how would one know that a doctor is approaching his or her work through this particular lens?
0: I think a lot of doctors practice narrative medicine without knowing that they're practicing Uh, narrative medicine. I think narrative medicine is one um, definition expression, but there are so many good colleagues that I know of that if you ask them a direct question, say in narrative medicine, they don't know what you're saying. But they're great doctors, and and they listen attentively, and and they take into consideration, you know, uh, their patients' wishes, and and they partner in in the care provided to patients. But they don't know that this can be defined as narrative medicine.
1: Interesting, interesting. So I made you know, this uh, fairly uninformed but immediate leap that it was, in fact, all about curiosity.
0: Is that right? Yes. I think all of us physicians in healthcare, we go into medicine because we're curious.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I remember growing up watching my mom um, taking care of my paternal grandmother with Alzheimer's disease. And I was a little girl, and I remember the conversations and the fights about going to take a shower and the happy moments. And and I was very curious about, you know, why this is happening and how does it happen and, and how do we prevent that from happening? And so I wasn't patient enough to go into research, but I knew that <laughs> I wanted through my clinical care to make a difference each and every day i think we're born curious and somehow we get so busy in life with our competing
1: priorities and we fail into the needs more Mm -hmm. than the wants so what does the training in narrative medicine consist of
0: so we have to differentiate between medical humanities and narrative medicine Mm -hmm. because medical humanities are you know the disciplines where they use the visual arts the the literature the you know films to tell the story and that's most of the time fiction and retrospective narrative medicine is the living experience it's real life mm-hmm. it is what goes on with the patient in ordinary simple ways some people say it's not heroic but it is the the, the ordinary heroic heroic you know events that happen right then and and that's narrative medicine and that's true for patients and it's true for providers as well when we when we have a prompt and and we sit down and and we write about a real life experience that
1: we've had what would a prompt consist of let's
0: see reflecting on my teaching in the last couple of weeks? What did we use? Now, there is a Tolstoy, The Death of, of Ivan Illich. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. very famous, and it's used in medical schools across the world. Ivan talks about himself, about his own mortality, and, mm. and he talks about being on the edge of uh, destruction, alone, with no one to to watch and and no support and no help, so we talk about this as a prompt. Tell me about an experience where you had a patient who uh, was facing end of life. Tell me about an experience with a patient who's a homeless, who's mm-hmm. you know lacking financial support and social support system. And we use the literature to encourage students or even faculty and ourselves to reflect on real life scenarios that we've had with our own life or with our patients.
1: Yeah. I love the image of thinking about the everyday as heroic. I think that's very powerful. It feels to me as if it would encourage further introspection, because it's a validation that those small victories are really important, and particularly in a healthcare setting, where sometimes, you know, you can have a long string of not feeling like a lot of victories. Very powerful. I'm struck that it's as much about the patient's story and the doctor's hearing And encouraging um, those stories and using them as it is about the doctor's own experience. That to me feels a little radical for a doctor to be paying as much attention and spending investing time in reflection on that experience. Is it in fact a radical thing? It is. It is. As you know, medicine
0: uh, was not a partnership between a mm. patient it was it was the the doctor who knows all the answers right and knows exactly what's good for the patient sort of like paternalistic approach to healthcare uh, and that did not seem to be the right w- way we know that patients are not necessarily happy Uh, We know that our patient satisfaction scores are not too good when we approach patients Mm. as a one-way street. It's more of partnering with our patients. And that's very interesting because in, in med school, the skills that we learn, they're not totally congruent with the skills that we have to learn in order to become good doctors. Mm. So you have to unlearn some things? We have we, not to unlearn, but to add yeah. to our knowledge. Yeah. Be- and I and I want to make this very clear that the evidence base is extremely important, but it's never enough.
1: Uh-huh.
0: A level of competency is absolutely needed. The last thing we want, having doctors that are compassionate, but not competent, I think that's a very dangerous that combination. That would be a bad outcome. <laughs> that would be a very dangerous combination so we want our doctors to be absolutely competent absolutely up to date with the literature with the evidence base to improve outcomes of care but at the same time we want them to learn skills to enable them to be worthy of caring for the sick mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. be able to partner to be able to listen and and that's really challenging in a healthcare system with, where technology is Widespread,
1: mm-hmm. and uh,
0: I can't really have a better quote than Abraham Verghese, who said, "The electronic medical record patient is doing very well. Everybody <laughs> is looking, but the real patient is in bed wondering where
1: everybody is." Yeah. oh, great line! Oh, he's a, he, what a what a terrific guy he is. Yes, he is. very interesting. So, I actually wanted to ask you this question about outcomes: Is there? I was curious: Is there research? that this approach improves outcomes. So this is relatively new, Mm -hmm. and uh, there are
0: several papers published on uh, particular diseases being improved Mm -hmm. with storytelling, in particular um, hypertension, for instance, better outcomes, better blood pressure control for patients that stepped forward to talk about (gasps) their illness. Interesting. Um, This area is new, and I think it's fascinating. Uh, now, with the electronic medical record system and the ability to do natural uh, language processing, text analysis will be able to detect and extract uh, patient satisfaction and outcomes that are not necessarily a qualitative outcome, uh-huh. that are not necessarily uh, very evident. And, and the, other, the other thing is, the, is, is really the, the thank you letters that we get from our patients. When oh. when we spend time and we share and we give uh-huh. them room, we give them room. I think that cannot be underestimated.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So let me go back to the hypertension. That's fascinating. Do they have an idea about why the outcomes are better? Is it just that sharing the stories and. You know as Maya Angelou says, there's no greater agony than bearing an untold story oh, inside absolutely. you,
0: absolutely. I think there there are multiple hypotheses why this is happening. Patients that um have hypertension, they're part of society. They mm-hmm. live in a real world. I can tell you that when I used to do home visit on my patients, i would I would talk to them about, the importance of taking their blood pressure medicine, but in reality, sometimes patients would have to make the choice between taking their blood pressure medicine or paying the utility bill mm-hmm. so they're not cold or or you know yes they have hypertension but they leave my clinic to go to a homeless shelter or they don't have the ability to you know access care so they can come back so their blood pressure can be checked so i think i think knowing being curious about the other dimensions of care understanding the framework of suffering and and disease that it's it's just beyond the disease. There are, there are social determinants of illness that we have to pay attention to, and we're part of a larger support system. Yeah,
1: it seems to me that the VA would be a particularly ripe place for this approach. Talk to me about your experience with yeah. that.
0: So I started my career in a a VA. I started actually in Georgetown and and I moved into the VA system 17 years ago. And I was very intrigued in, you know, end of life. I wanted to build hospice and palliative care. And then I moved into the mainstream, uh, managing patients on on the units and having my own practice as an outpatient. And so the VA is a great place to work. Veterans, they come from all walks of life, and um, it's very interesting because there are different generations that we learn from, and so there's currently the World War Two veterans that are nearing the end of life, these are the greatest generation. And then the and then the Vietnam veterans now growing older and sicker, some with disabilities. We see a lot of hepatitis C with head and neck cancer. And then the Iraq and Afghanistan veterans that are young and, and with different generational hopes and, and dreams and expectations of our system. So it's, it's, there's no dull moment there. But I remember in particular being asked by my colleague in oncology to consult on a patient i was building the hospice program and i remember that he needed help with pain management and and so i remember talking to the patient in the cancer center 70 year old gentleman with pretty advanced lung cancer less than six months to live was on pretty hefty dose of morphine and and he was still having excruciating pain I I asked if he would be willing to come and, and stay with us in long-term care to help him uh, for pain management and I remember when he came in very reserved did not share a whole lot it took a while for us to get to know him well had the psychologist the chaplain the nutritionist and real the interdisciplinary team uh spending time with him and it turned out that he had really quite sad story so he was a combat soldier uh, whose whole unit was wiped out mm. and he left with this sense of guilt and shame yeah. of not um of, of really not being dead with, not dying with people in his unit. And and as that surfaced, um, I think he he may I mean we, we hear a lot of about people who die with unfinished business and, mm-hmm. and and I'm very proud that to say that we were able to help him through those really incredible feelings and 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 he he died in 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 peace but I also wonder about how many have we missed I think that's always important to remember that it's not only the disease it's the conceptual framework of suffering it's the spiritual it's the emotional uh, the social side of... Illness. Yeah, we're not always
1: encouraged to be curious about those things within ourselves. So creating that space for it is a tremendous gift.
0: Yeah, and what, what was uh, very surprising, his son, Chris, when he came in and met with us, and I told him the story, he said, my dad never talked about mm. Vietnam. He came back and he got his own business and, and put us through school, and and he never mentioned that experience. Yeah. So that was very moving. Hmm. I think the other thing that's so special about the VA system is that it it goes beyond uh, just the disease management. There is the eliminating homelessness. There is the social support system. So it's it is um, it's really a fascinating integrated system to to work in. And I can I feel like a doctor.
1: I <laughs> true to my mission. Well, and, you know, the audience can't see this, but you radiate as you talk about <gasps> it. It's really lovely, I think. What lucky patients. And talk about how your experience as a doctor is transformed by this approach.
0: A few years ago, when I was introduced to Dr. Rita Sharon in, in Colombia mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. Narrative Medicine Program, my goal was to improve my writing skills. It's like ah, oh, that's a good opportunity for me to know a little bit more about this art of caring and, and so I I I didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. And and I remember a couple sessions and I remember the prompt and sitting down and have to reflect on my own experience and, and write about things that happen in med school. Mm. Um, Growing up, I remember Dr. Sharon asked, give us five minutes to write about, tell me about an experience where you did not live up to your profession. And that was very hard to write about. And all of a sudden, I remember when I was in fourth year medical students where I had uh, a patient who died and the family came in and, and I was not trained enough, brave enough. I didn't know what to say. And I didn't share with them that their loved one has passed away. Mm -hmm. I was very scared. I was very overwhelmed. And I really did not want to write about it. Mm -hmm. I didn't, Mm -hmm. I felt very uncomfortable. But then I had just only five minutes and I knew, and I knew that I have to share. The thought, the, the, the event dominated Um, My thought process, I couldn't think of anything else. So I decided to put it on papers and and write about it. And then I read it. And and that taught me um, the importance of being vulnerable, to accept that and to learn from it. Um, That was very important. That was sort of like really a life-changing. And I thought, well, this is really in in the heart of empathy that um, in our communication with our patients, you you have to be able to not judge and to accept and to put yourself in the shoes of those patients and and learn from it and and try to extend your hand and, and help. And that's different than sympathy where you can listen to the story, you can try your best to help, but then you draw the line in the parking lot when you go home. <laughs> so so that experience, actually, um, I published the piece and um, felt very committed to learning more and writing more.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, you've given me goosebumps. So we're going to f- figure out how to share some of your writings on the <laughs> Facebook page so that people can can learn more. And I I can't stand it. We're we're running out of time. So you have talked about prompts. So we're going to do a prompt, big jar of wannabe analogies here. So reach in okay. and take a slip. Oh, that's scary. And you're <laughs> going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on that slip of paper. I'll take one for myself and one for our audience as well. So you want to go or you want me to go first? You go first. Okay. Okay, um, mine is a bus ride. How is curiosity like a bus ride? You get on, and um, you don't necessarily know the driver or even the route that you'll be following, and it kind of picks up passengers. It picks up other things as it travels, Um, and sometimes it can be a bumpy ride. Uh, but it inevitably takes you someplace new and different. So that's how curiosity is like a bus ride. What do you have? I have rain. Oh, ooh, let's hear. So curiosity
0: is like rain, where where it's a, it can be looking at gloomy sky, but also rain washes pain and hurt it could be like tears yeah and curiosity can be can lead to painful places mm-hmm. but also there is sun that shines and there is rainbow
1: ah. that follows yeah beautiful that's beautiful i you know so it's hope yeah yeah it's got a very silver lining quality about it it is <laughs> it's some it's some pain but there's help nice and i think uh, we all need help yeah indeed we do indeed we do an audience let's see yours is kittens how is curiosity like kittens let us know hashtag analogy well rea our time is up but i just want to say thank you and i'm So excited to have an area to kind of keep watching in my own medical care as well as that of families and delighted to know that people are out there like you thinking about this stuff. So thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed being here. Thank you so much, Len. You're listening to WERALP in Arlington, Virginia. Do you know something about curiosity? Are you wondering about curiosity? Send us a message on Facebook, Twitter, or Gmail. Choose to be curious. And check out sendsound.space or the link on our Facebook page to learn more about Yoko's vision for the future of hospital sound. And, of course, more on narrative medicine, including some examples of the kind of writing that Rhea has described. Don't forget to send us your kittens analogy, hashtag analogy. Special thanks this week to Yoko, my guest Rhea Kierbeck, sound engineer Antonio Villaronga, and Ellen Fox for helping me connect the dots. And until next time, choose to be curious.